guys and welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast, episode 16. I'm Alice, I'm on the mic again as Anna Brading is sadly not here. I'm joined by Sophos expert Mark Stockley. Hi. Peter McKenzie. Hello. And back, I was going to say from the dead, sorry. I need to... <laughs> that would be more impressive. <laughs> well, back from Amsterdam. Where have anyway. you been, Doug? You haven't been on the podcast for ages. I've been in London, I've been in Leicester, I've been in London again, I've been in Edinburgh, which has spectacular beaches, by the way, although mm. I only got to visit them at nine o'clock at night on my bicycle. I've been to Utrecht and I've had a little, uh, a nice little ride through Amsterdam in pouring rain. Be careful of tram tracks, folks. You can have giant skids. So what were you doing? You weren't just on holiday. You weren't going on a little no, Euro no, tour. No, uh, no. It was a combination. Basically, some speaking engagements, uh, talking to Sophos partners. And in the Netherlands, uh, it was the big security show, Infosec NL, where Sophos had a booth. I did a couple of speeches, spoke to journos. And I visited with one of my Dutch colleagues, Philip Freysen, the vernietiging machine, which is a device you drop a hard disk in and it basically dissolves it in a shower of sparks. We've got a great video mm. on Twitter showing a disk. It's a shame we don't eaten. have a camera in here. I, 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 yeah. I wish the listeners could see the smile on your face when you were talking about smashing up hard drives. Uh, there's a bit in the video where Philip says, all right, here it comes, and he, he drops it into this this sort of slot and they put a, a thick perspex window on top of the grinding device so you could so you could film it and you just see this giant hydraulic shredder basically grinding up a disc but well, even that that even that isn't the end of it is it no no and then it comes out at the bottom in in bits and you hear philip saying Duck, can you hear the data screaming? And then it goes, it goes up, chug, 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 up this incline, like when you're going up a roller coaster, kudunk, 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 little baskets. And then it gets tipped into a basically mixer, mincer, shredder, liquidizer machine. More sparks descend. And then basically powder comes out. So good luck recovering any mm. data. Provided you've got the disk to recover the, provided you've got the disk to destroy, of course. So we do have a video on our new YouTube channel where you can see where we talk about what how do you deal with destroying data on a disk that you can't put through one of those machines. Yeah, you can't put your cloud through one of those big <laughs> miniature <laughs> monsters. And if you? someone's stolen your laptop or you left your phone in a taxi, what do you do about it? So, you know, there are some things that you can do, of course, using encryption um, that make it easy to control data when it's lost. But it was very satisfying. And there was this weird, like, sulfurous smell. It's like you kind of descended into hell, you know, the <laughs> sort of... Well, the data the, did. Well, it's sort of ground-up data. You'd think it would be odourless, but, of course, there's all the there's the oil in the machinery and there's the, there's the sort of ground-up stuff and melted plastic and stuff. Are you also probably breathing in some very, very small particulates of uh, hard drive platter and casing, aren't you? I ride a bicycle every day from Oxford to Abingdon and back, so I think I breathe in plenty of particulate matter <laughs> from taxis and buses and belching cars. So I was prepared to uh, risk that. They did make us wear safety goggles just in case some some part exploded or something. Well, well, welcome back. And it's actually a good time to mention that we do have a brand new YouTube channel, so you can go and watch that video by searching Naked Security. I think we have about five subscribers right now, so please do follow us. Be the sixth. Yeah, be the sixth. <laughs> Um, so, also, exciting times. We have a birthday to celebrate today, Mark Stockley. Oh, it was last week, actually. It's a 20th birthday. Last week it well, was... It's the... not yours, then. <laughs> <laughs> 21, he is. Yeah, yeah 21. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mark. 
Happy birthday to it. Happy birthday to it. I better stop now or else I'll get a stuck with a rhyme. Happy birthday to it. <laughs> <laughs> You're pitching yourself for another animation there, are you? Not really. <laughs> not, not that one, no. So last week it was the... 20th birthday of the CVE program. Mm. Famous from the CVE numbers you may have seen on uh, bug reports and uh, or reports of vulnerabilities. What is it? Common vulnerability enumeration. I believe you're right. And that's exactly what it does, right? It it's a it's a one-off unique number that says when you want to refer to this security hole, just use this number. It's kind of meaningless, but if everyone uses the same number, how that's rather convenient. Yes, and it dates back to 1999 when people obviously didn't do that. And it's easy to overlook that kind of simple underpinning. So if you don't all have the same name for something, then you might discover the same thing three or four times and give it different names and you've got no way of understanding that you're talking about the same thing. Yeah, that was a big problem back in the day with yeah. computer viruses, wasn't it? One company called it X, one called it Y. You know, the, the Jerusalem virus was also known as the 1700 virus or the Israeli virus, depending on whether you named it after a country, a city, or the size of the file. So, oh, I've got three different viruses at the same time, when in fact you only had one. So it was a great way of just saying, let's give it a, a one-off name that doesn't have the heart-bleedy type romantic marketing name. It's just a, a unique, dull, but definitive identifier. It's a great idea, actually. It's still a problem today with malware names. You know, there's no consistency across the industry with naming new threats, unfortunately. You just have to memorise a SHA-256 hash, don't yeah. you? Yeah, easy. Actually, there, we, we somebody did comment recently when we were... Uh, I think it was a, a recent podcast or a video that we did where we, we gave a CVE number just so that people could check whether it had been patched in any update they downloaded by going and looking for that those the year 2019 and four digits. Yeah. And somebody said, hey, what we need is we need another naming scheme that gives memorable names to these things. And, of course, the problem <laughs> is that then you need a naming scheme to tame the naming scheme to tame the naming scheme. So sometimes having a dull, like, identifier, like a barcode on a product, it's not great for marketing, but it is great when you want to make sure, did this patch fix that problem or not? It's also a foundation you can build on, isn't it? So once you... you, you once you've got the CVE number, then you can start looking at things like common scoring systems or uh, common descriptions like the CWE descriptions that say, OK, well, it's this type of problem, which means it's analogous to these other types of problems. And it's got this score, which means it's more serious than these other things with another, you know, with a, a different score on the same scale. Where, where I find it particularly useful is where you've got a, a bug, say, in a third party library heartbleedy or yeah. you've got an image file processing thing a bug that's in lots of different products when you get an update from the vendor of the product that includes the library that includes the bug if their release notes say we have fixed cve 2019 dash blah 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 then you can be sure that they're fixing the same problem that was fixed in another product with a different update that may have come out on a different date. So it's just a good way of finding out that lots of different people have taken the same action against the same problem rather than wondering whether an update you got for this product fixed the same thing, that the same sort of hole that that product had. So what you're trying to say is, happy birthday, CVE. Happy birthday, Happy birthday. CVE. Happy birthday. 
So coming up on today's show, Duck's going to be talking about Blue Keep. Uh, Peter covers a new Spanish ransomware and Mark's talking about the latest twist in sextortion. So Duck, as you're back, let's start with you. Um, so Blue Keep was a big vulnerability patched by Microsoft back in May in a blaze of publicity. In fairness to Microsoft, they warned users that this could be the next big one. So to start with, can you tell us what Blue Keep is and why Microsoft were more concerned about this one? Yes, I think that the, the word Blue comes from the fact that the attack uses a similar sort of approach to that that was used in Eternal Blue, which was famously the exploit used by the WannaCry virus two and a half years ago. And BlueKeep is a security hole in Microsoft's remote desktop protocol. Protocol, sorry, that can come out. RDP protocol, you're allowed to repeat the word protocol when you use an acronym. You're, you're giving yourself yeah. that permission. Yeah. So basically... <laughs> uh, in very many networks, an administrator will turn on what's called RDP on everybody's computers. It basically, it's a way for Windows to support two users at the same time. So you can be sitting at your keyboard, logged in and see your window, and somebody else can log into your computer remotely, and they get essentially a remote graphical window, a log into your computer. So it's very, very handy if you want to share a computer, let two people use it at the same time, or if an administrator wants to jump in and manage your computer while you're not there. So it's not the same as Windows Remote Assistance, where you and somebody else collaborate on, and you see them moving the mouse on your screen. It's basically a remote graphical remote login tool for Windows, and it works by your computer listening on port network port 3389 for incoming connections. When a connection arrives, basically a login page gets pumped out to the other person, if they've got username and password and the right authority, then they get basically they they get access to your computer. The problem is that this is BlueKeep is what's which is I'll give it the CVE dash twenty nineteen dash zero seven zero eight. That's not a date; it's just an arbitrary four digit number. Basically, this it's what's called a pre authentication hole. Basically, by probing the port that's supposed to give the login page somebody can basically stick a knitting needle in there and persuade your computer to run a small little program LUT, shellcode as it's known, that they provided. In other words, RCE, remote code execution. So you're listening in for people logging in, but they don't even get to the login page where they need to put in a password. In the process of provoking the login page, they take over your computer and they can kind of do what they like. And the big fear, of course, the reason that Microsoft said, look, guys, we're going to go out on a limb here and say this is really, really, really more important than any of the other patches in May. In fact, they actually provided patches for Windows XP and for Windows Server 2003, which are ancient history. That's how serious they thought it was. Yeah, they've only done that, I think, two or three times, haven't they, since the... Yeah, it's, it's only when, there's a, when yeah. there's a serious danger. And the reason is that Microsoft were warning that this could be what's called a wormable hole. Yeah, I believe the NSA also put an alert out saying, look, this really is serious patch. It wasn't just Microsoft. Yes, Microsoft, their words were, we made the decision to make security updates available for platforms that are no longer in mainstream support, which is the nice way of saying all you laggards who are still on Windows XP, which is nearly two decades old, um, we are going to help you, but we still want you to move, but we're doing it for the greater good of all. And when they say it's a... Now, in theory, any remote code execution hole, if you can break into somebody else's computer and get it to do something on your behalf... Technically, any RC, any remote code execution is wormable. 
you can make a virus out of it. I connect to your computer, I tell your computer to infect the next guys and the next guys and so on. But I think Microsoft's concern here was you don't even need to log into the computer. You can just basically probe it and get it to attack the next guy and the next guy kind of almost by like a, like a, like a you know, when you'd skip a stone on the ocean or a lake by skimming it. It's almost like you can just glance from computer to computer. And if you think about things like the Internet Worm 1988, mm. the Code Red Virus 2001. Slammer. Um, SQL Slammer, which attack, attacked via the SQL port. You didn't actually connect to the database. You didn't need a password. You didn't actually do any database commands. You basically just probed the SQL server and it attacked the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. And soon the whole internet was flooded with a, a series of attacks. And those that were successful would lead to the virus spreading further. And generally speaking, another real problem is those that aren't successful, because you're kind of poking a stick into the Windows kernel, where your attack isn't successful, if you're a crook, you don't care, mm. you kind of crash the guy's computer. And in fact, in the, the reason that Bluekeep is suddenly back in the news is that there's been a bit of an upsurge in reports of attacks using this vulnerability. Fortunately, they oh. don't seem to be a worm. It's just somebody's got hold of the Metasploit module that lets you mount an attack. So the, the really interesting thing about Bluekeep was that we had all this furore about hype the, and panic uh, yeah. when it came out. I mean, rightly so. Everybody was very worried. Yeah, I wouldn't say a... it was hype. It, well, I would say, Marcus well, yeah, it... said, you really, really need to patch. Yeah, and Mark, I... you wrote an article with that headline and you really meant it. Yeah. I mean, no, I nobody disagreed with Microsoft or the NSA, did they? This looks like a very serious problem. Yes. And we were all expecting or we were all imagining that there may be a worm. And as you say, like... Prepare the, for the worst, yeah. expect the best. And then crickets. Well, not, not quite crickets mostly crickets i don't quite get that metaphor being a cricket player myself because cricket's a sport not an insect <laughs> but you never mind um, you know it's, it's, you meant not much happened yeah not so much there was, vi not there much was visibly <laughs> happened yeah. there was some a proof of concepts yeah people were trying it out and suddenly yeah. along come this bunch of buffoons who seem to have got hold of metasploit for the greater good of all here's how it works and they've got hold of this exploit which is to be fair to Metasploit, they haven't. They didn't make something that anybody could use to attack anybody. You have to mm. sort of tailor it, and if you don't, you run the risk of crashing the remote computer. And some of the reports I've it's seen. A step up, though, isn't it? Yeah, but unfortunately, some of the reports I've seen suggest that this isn't large scale, so it's it's not a worm. It's just somebody looking for people who've been who haven't patched, who have RDP open on the internet, and who are available to take this generic attack and. It seems that in about 90% of cases, your computer will blue screen, which is bad enough. And in 10% of cases, you will end up downloading and running a Monero cryptocurrency mining oh. program. <laughs> Who would have thought? So, you know, it's, it's, it could have been worse, but it is a clear sign that there are lots and lots of people out there yeah. who six months later haven't applied any of the generic precautions that they could have. Firstly, they're exposing RDP to the internet at large. So the crooks don't even have to break into your network in order to break further into your network. So, Doug, what advice would you give people then? What, what should they be doing? Well, the obvious things here, the obvious thing, we said it a zillion times on the podcast, I'm sure we'll say it a zillion more, patch early, patch often. Microsoft told you, Microsoft even provided patches for people running way old 
unsupported versions of their operating system good on them. The NSA warned everybody, Naked Security warned everybody six months ago, if you haven't patched, you're kind of part of the problem rather than part of the solution. The second thing you can do, and Microsoft actually introduced this feature, I think, in Windows Vista because they felt it was an important extra step, layered security. Uh, RDP now comes for, for years and years and years has come along with a thing called NLA, which is network level authentication. And basically, you have to authenticate to the, the network first yep. before you're allowed to stick your knitting needle into the RDP port. So A that keeps any crook two steps away rather than one step away. And B, it means that somebody can't keep trying to log in, which way could waste resources on your server. It could be used for a denial of service attack. Mm. So the second thing is Microsoft have this well-known second layer of defense, not quite 2FA, but it's a second layer called network-level authentication. It's on by default from Windows 8 and later because it's now considered so important. But if you have an old operating system, the defaults were different, you owe it to yourself and the rest of the world to go and bring yourself up to speed. Um, and that leads to the last point, which is if you do insist on running an, an older version of Windows, like if you've got Windows 7, you need to accept that you're a little bit behind the times and that when your system was set up, we collectively, the world, didn't have exactly the same concerns about cybersecurity as we do today. And so some of the defaults, the choices that were made for you when your operating system was installed aren't really up to scratch in today's world and you need to go and change those. So this network layer, NLA, the network layer authentication, it's on by default in Windows 10 and RDP is off by default. But those choices were different earlier on, so you need to go and check your system to make sure that you are essentially following modern standards and not leaving a little bit of a hole which the crooks can use against you and having used it against you could use it against everybody else. Mm. Not that I feel strongly about this. <laughs> <laughs> and also it's worth bearing in mind that Bluekeep is just one of the problems facing people who've got RDP. And absolutely. If, if you absolutely. want to know more about what to do about those problems, go to sophos.com slash RDP. Oh, <laughs> we did some RDP well, research in and Mark. in 80 seconds flat, the cyber crooks came after us. And that, my friends, was that. But SSH was even worse, not one minute till their knock. If you pick shabby passwords, then the crooks will pick your lock. And it really is as simple as that. Did you just come up with that on the spot? No, I came up with it on the spot from memory. Ah, right. It was one, okay. of the, one of the daily poems we I was did impressed. Through, it, through uh, one of your Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Well, that's mm. not a limerick, technically. Peter, did we tell you in advance that we expect your bit to be an iambic pentameter? You did not, okay. and it won't be. <laughs> well, thank you, Duck. So moving on to story two. Those weren't pentameters, by the way. No, but his bit is... Oh, excellent. Look forward to it. <laughs> Peter, you're covering some breaking news about mass ransomware outbreak in Spain, which started yesterday. Yes, and there's actually a potential link to Bluekeep. We'll come back to later. Um, so it started getting uh, reported on Monday the 4th that uh, multiple companies uh, in Spain have had some sort of mass ransomware attack. Uh, this sent a lot of concerns, you know, especially around Spain. Um, it seems to centre around a company called Everest, um, and this is publicly known. Uh, and 
the first sort of indication it was ransomware is an employee, reportedly an employee of Everest, leaks a picture of the ransom note onto Twitter. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, interesting that the ransom note actually says by revealing disclosure of the contact details in this ransom note, you could uh, risk decryption being impossible. So I imagine that employee is possibly having a meeting with their boss at some point. With their new boss. <laughs> yeah, their new <laughs> boss, yeah. Um, Anyway, so, so what we know about this, um, as I said, it starts on Monday the 4th. Everest is a uh, large MSP, so a managed service provider. Um, for Sorry, what's a managed service provider? Yeah, so um, a lot of companies, big and small, they like to outsource some of their, maybe their IT or their security, and managed service providers can say, well, okay, we'll install something on your machines. It gives us access to your machines, so we can deal with your sort of frontline IT questions if people need passwords reset, or we can manage your security. We can do all this kind of stuff. But basically, the MSP has access to your company's network. Ah, uh, so it's kind of like a garage, isn't yeah. it? it? These days, people don't work on their own cars; they drop it off with somebody else, and a couple of days later, they pick it up and they kind of hope <laughs> and assume that what was wrong has been fixed. And that the garage was trustworthy. This yeah. is one of the use cases for RDP, isn't it? <sighs> yes. So, oh dear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we, we don't know the, all the, you know, the details are still coming out. This is Tuesday as we're recording this and it's happened, um, you know, yesterday. So the report is that Everest has been hit. Uh, the ransomware has been identified as BitPamer, which is one we've talked about before. It's what we class as a high-impact targeted attack, which means the attackers will have already gained access to the network, they'll have compromised domain admin accounts, and they will have planned this attack. Uh, proven by the fact that when the files get encrypted in this attack, the extension on the files basically spells out Everest, done with numbers. It's 3V3R1S. So clearly confirmation... This, this, is, this is not random. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That, that's, a, that's a signature, That is it? a diss. Yeah. That really is yeah. trash talk, isn't it? And the the big question is, the other companies that have reportedly had attacks, so I've heard rumours of uh, at least four other companies being affected. The next one that's sort of well-known is a radio station in Spain, a large radio station, um, Cadena. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but their, ba- their network basically sort of went offline around the same time as Everest, so... That sort of started all the speculation. Now, we don't know if it's the same ransomware, and we don't know the details of like the extension on the encrypted files. However, it has been reported that two separate sources, at least two separate sources, have had files encrypted that have the Everest extension, which could indicate that the MSP was the primary target, mm. but because of their access to other networks, it either accidentally or deliberately spilled out into those other organisations as well. You can imagine the crooks going, I can't believe my luck. It's like all their ransomware Christmases come at once when they break into a company thinking they're going to infect a thousand computers and find they can infect a thousand it, times by... It's not, it's not out of the question that that was deliberate, is it? I no, mean, when, we were, when we were doing the Samsung research a couple of years ago, we were looking at the different types of ransomware. If I recall correctly, BitPayma was the one that was... They were the, the absolute eye-watering ransoms. Um, the they were at the time, yeah. yes. I mean, so the ransom, um, again, this is sort of leaked. Uh, don't know if it's completely accurate, but the ransom demand for Everest was, uh, or is, uh, €750,000, which is about eight, Ouch. Yeah, 
750,000. Not as high as Riot. I mean, Riot ransomware, they're in excess of $5 million nowadays. Um, but yeah, so 750,000 euros, which is about $835,000 or 650,000 um, pounds. And this is not against each company, right? It's basically the MSP is going to have well, to pay. Well, this is the ransom demand for Everest. We don't know if the other companies, if it is all linked, if they have their own ransom note and their own payment, or if they're all sitting there thinking, well, we need Everest to pay so we can get our data back, putting a lot of pressure on Everest to pay. It's it's a cunning plan for the crooks to get a whole load of people on their, on their case to tell the person to pay. Because mm. suddenly, if all the customers that have been affected... Yeah are now saying, yeah, you better pay, you better pay, you better pay. It becomes very hard we, not to. And even if they do pay, there's never the assurance that their data's not going to be... No, I mean, so we've seen attacks on MSPs. They sort of started getting a bit more popular, I guess, over the last year. Um, we've seen it used uh, GANCRAB and now REVEL or SODNICI, the one I can't pronounce. Um, and... It has varied in how they do it. Do they target the MSP or uh, we've seen them target the individual customers of the MSP as well. So if Everest was the target and they're the only one that are expected to pay the ransom node or the ransom, if they do pay and they get a decryption tool, they've now got the question of do they provide that tool to their customers who have also been encrypted? It's Because, I mean, that would obviously highlight the fact that they've paid the ransom, which they may not want to admit right. if they do do it. So yeah, it's, it's a messy situation, yeah. an interesting sort of twist on uh, these high-impact ransomware attacks. But generally, you unfortunately or fortunately, depending which way you look at it, you generally do get your data back, don't you? Because these guys make a point of kind of honour among things oh, yes. so that the word gets around that although it may hurt, although it may feel like something that morally you don't want to do, you kind of probably will get your data back. And if you're up against right. the wall, it could be the only way to save your yeah. business. Yeah, they have so their people own... people are inclined to pay and you have... To, although everyone says, oh, you shouldn't pay, you shouldn't pay, it's naughty, it's terrible, it's bad, it encourages the crooks. Well, and what is our advice? Do we do we advise that people don't pay? Uh, well, we actually we wrote an article, or well, I forget which one of you two wrote it, but we wrote an article, Should You Pay, on the security... Um, I think 2017 or something was it? You? Yeah. It was actually earlier than that. It was a uh, a demand that came in Australia. Yeah. Where someone had got into the network. They hadn't they they hadn't used conventional ransomware. It was more like the city of Joburg attack that you guys talked about last yep. week, where they'd done something and obviously they'd been in the network and they said send us the money or else, yeah. like or else what? Well, who knows? Yeah. So our sort of official advice is uh, basically it's it's obviously best not to pay. You are in essence, sponsoring the next attack. Um, but we can't really take the moral high ground. It's your data. You know you know what you've lost and how valuable that is. It's it's down to you, really. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I My advice would be do not pay, but I will also recognise it's really easy for us to say that when it's not our business looking down the barrel. So, Peter, you're the person in this room who finds themselves in the middle of this stuff. And the story you're telling us today, we get a sort of flavour of how the facts kind of eke out slowly as something like this happens. You know, we talked about the, the Joburg attack last week and when that first happened, actually there was a, the, the scuttlebutt was that a whole bunch of banks were involved as well and then it turned out that they had had concurrent outages that had nothing to do with this, uh, with the ransomware. But through the if kind I of may. fog and mist that happens in these attacks, it's... Nobody knows what's going on for a while. So, but you've actually been 
you, you know what it's like when these things happen or just after they've happened. Just give us a flavour of what's it like inside a company that is facing something like this? Uh, chaos most of the time, absolute chaos. So they, um, Everest actually sent a message out to their staff. Um, I'll cut it down, but um, it's, uh, we are suffering a massive virus attack on the Everest network. Please keep the PCs off. And it's these type of messages. They just go into complete shutdown. They don't know so what's happening. So would that be people's phones? Because, I mean, like, presumably a whole bunch of the computers that you would normally send an email to or from yeah. are no longer operable. You, you've actually yeah. you've just reminded me of a story. So um, this was a victim I was over a year ago I was working with. They did have some big ransomware attack, and they sent out a message saying, turn everything off, all devices. And they had a separate office, I think it was in Manchester. Uh, and for three days, they weren't able to contact them because all their IT staff had turned off their mobiles, and they had to send someone up just to go and say, no, can you turn your mobiles back on? They Presumably, panic. this is the sort of stuff that you need to know in advance. Yeah. You need to have a disaster recovery plan. You need backups that are off-site, offline. You have to basically ask yourself the question, if 90% of your computers need to be rebuilt today... What's your plan for that? Because that's the kind of situation you can and it's find not, yourself in. It's not in. just recovering data, is it? It's actually it's it's rebuilding the whole computer or the whole it's, yeah. it's the whole image. It, this is no longer just you've lost your holiday photos. It's mm. you know you've lost the applications on there. You, you've probably only got Internet Explorer as a working browser now. You have to is reinstall that because they everything. Leave the... They leave the one so you can pay the bitcoins. Yeah, um, but they yeah, want they just see the wallpaper that says, exactly. "Guess what? This is yeah. bad." So, do you find with these companies then that most of them do have disaster plans, or when you're going in and helping them, is it because they didn't put anything in place? Uh, a lot of them have disaster plans, but not to the scale. Right. This this whole targeted high impact ransomware where they take out all of your servers and potentially all of your endpoints overnight while you're asleep, and they've purposely wiped out all your backups in advance wow. it's it's just a disaster that nobody really can plan for that effectively right yeah i think it is important that businesses do plan for this anyway because of course it's not just ransomware that can cause that kind of problem you could get excluded from your own office building through no fault of your own we're fire it could be a fire or a gas leak where the authorities say, everybody evacuate the building, you're not allowed back until we give it the all clear. And, you know, that could keep out you out of your building for hours or days. So, Peter, you mentioned Bluekeep. How does that tie in with this? Yeah, well, obviously, over the weekend, we had all this uh, information get published about this Bluekeep coin miner that Ducks talked about. Uh, and then we have this mass ransomware attack. And, of course the connection to Eternal Blue and, you know, Blue Key, you know, everyone gets into a bit of a panic. And there have been reports that Blue Keep has been used for inside these ransomed networks for lateral movement. And there's apparently an internal source that is saying, yes, Blue Keep is being used. However, I want to stress that there is no evidence to back this up at all at the moment that has at least been made public. It may turn out to be true, but at the moment, it's just the same situation. Patch early, patch often. Really. Absolutely. If you haven't patched against Bluekeep, then that means you basically haven't patched at all for six months. Because if you'd patch at any point, you would have caught up with all the missing stuff. So if you're already six months out of date with patches, then Bluekeep is only one of a zillion things that you have to worry about. And you said blue comes from eternal blue, which it does. Um, I'm going to ask you a question, though, 
Does anyone know where the keep bit comes from? It comes from the red keep in yes. Game of Thrones. Kevin Beaumont or at Go See the Dog. He's the one responsible for this name. Uh, so the he just said it as a joke, didn't he? Yeah, basically the vulnerability um, came out uh, the sort of season finale of uh, Game of Thrones and. I won't spoil the ending if you haven't seen it yet, but um, basically he said it's it's the ending actually, of what it, ransomware or the sorry uh, actually no it's the not ending of Game of Thrones end of Game of I Thrones Game yeah. of Thrones was like this eternal thing that went on forever no no it's never finished. ever ended um, although I think they've got some spin-offs coming but um, actually you've just you've <laughs> just reminded me actually the the blue isn't a reference to Eternal Blue actually at all I've just remembered sorry no it's a reference to the fact that it, the common outcome is it blue screens the machines. Yeah, and then the keep was a uh, reference to a building in um, or a castle in Game of Thrones, which was the Red Keep. So he was saying, uh, which, okay, spoiler alert, it got destroyed. Uh, so he was saying it's like the Red Keep in Game of Thrones, you know, and that as secure. Drivelous etymology <laughs> is what and is why we have CBEs twenty nineteen zero seven zero eight exactly. So moving on to the final story, Mark Stockley, you're going to be talking about extortion. I am. So we've talked about this extensively. It's a very interesting topic. But why are we covering it again? What's why? new? Why? Yeah, why? Because Mark still hasn't put insulation tape over his webcam. <laughs> that is one you of should the probably reasons. do that. Yeah. You should probably do that, Mark. So, yeah, we have been over this a number of times. Uh, and bear with me because we are going to go over it again. And the reason that we're going to go over it again <laughs> is... This is still a thing. The scams are still going on. People are still paying. Um, people are still feeling falling victim to this. Uh, and people are feeling the effects. If you go and read the comments on our Naked Security articles about the sextortion attempts over the last year and a half, you'll see there's lots and lots of people are kind of upset and disturbed by this. Right. So it's worth going over the details again because not everybody understands what's happening uh, and what it all means. So bear with me. So... We are talking about sextortion, and today we're talking about a sort of a new twist on it, but I'm going to recap how we got here. So sometime last year, somebody came up with a, a novel kind of scam where they email you claiming to have hacked you. And what they say is that they filmed you via your webcam while you're enjoying porn websites. And everybody seems to have received these emails. So I've had plenty. I don't know about you guys. Have you received any duck? Yeah, Peter, I have. Alice? Yeah. yeah. So as the campaign's evolved, we've written a number of articles about it. Uh, what we've seen over time is pretty much an unending stream of comments on those articles from victims. And the traffic to those articles has actually increased over time. And also recently in the UK, it's actually hit the mainstream TV news. In the emails they received, the victims are told to pay menaces uh, in order to stop the hacker from revealing the video that they say that they've taken to everybody in your address book. Uh, of course, they haven't taken a video. This is, you know, they're, they're lying. It's easy to send somebody an email and to tell them that you've done that. Uh, and the reason that people believe it is because the emails contain some form of fake proof, which is designed to persuade you that you have, in fact, been hacked. Uh, and what we've seen over time, the first form of fake proof that we saw was a password. So the scammers were plundering kind of long exposed password databases uh, and sending you a password, maybe your, your LinkedIn password from 2013 that was exposed in a breach. And they would use that and they would say, look, we've got your password. That's proof that we've hacked you. Of course, it isn't proof that they've hacked you at all. It's proof that they've got access to a password no database that everybody else has got access to as well. But it's very disturbing when you see it. We've also seen them use phone numbers and then we've seen them using 
email addresses as well. So they'll send you the scam email from your own address. And that's kind of an interesting development because in order to explain to somebody why that's not a problem, right. you have to explain something about how email works. Mm. And I think that's part of why these scams are so And sticky. it's interesting how many times we've covered it. Obviously, we're in this environment that we're talking about it all the time, but so many people do believe it. So it, it obviously does work. Yeah, and it's like spam of old, isn't it? You know, it's easy to send out millions and millions of emails. It's very, very cheap. You don't need many people. So I think the ransom is in the order of half a Bitcoin, which is a few hundred pounds. Um, and so... A few kind of thousand. Bitcoins uh, are about 10,000 US at the moment. Yeah, the, I saw the the demands for this are anywhere between sort of 500 and $1,000, so... I think your Bitcoin price is wrong there. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Which is weird because normally I have a Bitcoin ticker on my phone all it's, the time. It's a bit of a coin. Yeah. yeah. And what's interesting is if you look at those comments, there are loads of people who said, look, I don't, I, I, you know, either I, I don't visit porn sites yeah. or I don't even have a webcam, but I'm still worried because like, if the guys are in my computer, what else could they right. have done? And there's, it's kind of that unknown unknown, isn't it? And you can see why people would be unsettled considering that, they're getting these emails all the time. That's exactly right. It's that the, they know something you don't know, so which is oh, you didn't know that your password was public knowledge or Yeah, we have people saying, so, so should I go and change all my passwords? You're thinking, well, you can. Yeah, maybe it's that one. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're not using a password manager, it's a good excuse to start. But it, it, does, put, it does put fear up people and understandably. So what's the new, what's yeah. the new twist this That's week? That's the story so far. Um, the new twist is the messages uh, are appearing on websites and not just in emails. So what we've seen is messages appearing in blog posts. The messages are posted from the administrator of that site. Um, and they basically say the same thing. We've accessed your computer. We've filmed a compromising video of you. Um, send Bitcoin now. Or we'll publish it on your website. And then um, Or we'll reveal it to everybody in your address book. Wow. They also state that not only have they filmed you while looking at these sites, but they've also recorded what you were looking at. Oh. So could potentially worry <laughs> you a little bit more as well. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, yeah side by Which side. Obviously apparently. makes me wonder what you were looking at. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you get basically you get a warning, but this time instead of it just saying, oh, here's a password we got from five years ago, the warning actually comes from your own blog that you forgot about. Exactly. And my presumption is, because we don't know exactly how this is working, but my presumption is that the crooks have got these great lists of passwords and somebody thought, well, what if we actually tried to use them for something? Because these, we uh. know that password reuse is a thing. So if somebody gets your password from, let's say, the LinkedIn breach in 2013, it's worth trying that password on a bunch of different sites like, say, blogger.com or wordpress.com to see if they can log in. And if they log in, don't they then have a much more convincing form of proof that they have hacked you? Because they actually exactly, have hacked that's you. that's what people say in the comments. They say, well, if these guys, if they want to prove it, putting my phone number is, is, is not really very convincing. Why don't they just send yep. me the video and then I know they've got it? So here they don't have the video, but they do have a post that they made on your blog. You can go to your own blog yep. and go, uh-oh, how on earth did that get there? And what else have these guys done? Well, and also there is such little understanding around the fact that they don't actually have the video, that even yeah. if they do post it on your blog post and your friends and family see that you've been hacked yeah. and someone says, I've got a video of you watching porn, that's almost embarrassing enough. Ex yeah, 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 you're right. The, 
it, well, I hadn't so thought of that either. It's actually, <laughs> well, then you realise, gosh, not only is this a sextortion demand, it's a public one. Mm. Right. Yeah. And yeah, if it's a that, blog post you're still using, it is harming your brand as well, yeah, potentially. exactly. So, the, I mean, the big difference with this one is in the previous versions of the scam, they're saying that they have hacked you and they haven't. And in this one, they have actually hacked something. OK, it's not the thing that they said they'd hacked and it doesn't in any way indicate their ability to do that kind of hacking, but they have hacked something. And in the same way that I think explaining how an email comes from your own address is a difficult thing for some people to get hold of, I think this is an even more difficult yes. thing to explain, even more nuanced to say, OK, well, so yeah. they said they've hacked you and they, they kind of have hacked you, but what they've hacked is a thing that's different from the thing that they said that they've hacked. And just because they've hacked this one thing doesn't mean that they can or will so be fact, able to hack the other thing. Our, our advice of old, which is just delete the email and move on, no longer really applies. Delete the email, don't be afraid about the video, but don't move on, go back to your blog, make sure you can still log in and the crooks haven't changed the password and go and fix it. Get rid of the bogus content and do something because if these crooks can get in just to post a message saying you've been watching porn, yep. then who knows which other cyber gangs have or haven't been in your blog using it to disseminate malware, fake news brand exactly. hijacking all exactly of that. and one of the things that you see on these blogs is that the sextortion post is only one of the things that's happening on it and we don't know if it's the, the one scammer pulling lots of tricks or lots of different scammers who've all got access to the same password list but alongside the sextortion email you might have fake antivirus you've got um, you know, kind of pills for sale, all the other sorts of scams that you see on websites that have been turned over. Are they making... well, imagine if you're a sextortionist, you just go online, you search for, find me all the blogs that are promoting pills. Yeah. And then you know, ah, well, those are the easy ones to hack. Let's put the sextortion squeeze on those site owners. And they Interestingly make... enough, sorry, Peter. Are they making money from this? What's... Uh, sadly, it looks like they are. So one of the addresses uh, on one of the disused blogs seen by Naked Security, had four and a half bitcoins, which is about... <laughs> and how much is that, Mark? Bitcoin wallet. <laughs> Mark has no idea how much that is. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Dark Peter, how much is four and a half bitcoins? <laughs> about 45,000 wow. US, I believe. So we don't know... Ish. We don't know that those rents... We don't know that the money in that account was ransoms that have been paid because of this scam. Extortions, more, we saying? Oh, that's... Ooh, ransom? Yeah. yeah, whichever way you We want don't to. know the... Yeah, the... We don't know the where those payments came from. So it may be that they came from somewhere else, some legal activity, some other illegal activity. But we do also know that there are lots and lots of different Bitcoin addresses or Bitcoin wallets. So this isn't uh, mm. four and a half Bitcoins in total. This is four and a half Bitcoins in one wallet. Right. So, Mark, I have an old um, WordPress site floating around. So this story makes me a bit paranoid. What advice would you give to people? Because as Duck said, now we're not just saying delete the email and move on because that could implicate other people potentially. So it depends if you need the site or not. So no. if you don't need the site, <laughs> if you don't need the site, the same as any computer program that you have that you don't need right. or any other service that you use that you don't need go and close it down okay. because that's all part of your attack surface. And even if you're not vulnerable now, who's to say what you might be vulnerable to next month or the month after or the month after that. And, you know, if you forget about it, then the crooks have got all the time in the world to do something with it. So if you don't need it, go and shut it down. If you do need it, make sure that the password that you use to access that site is a strong password. Make sure it's unique and it's not being used anywhere else. Certainly shouldn't be, you know, your 
four-character LinkedIn password from 2013. Oops. Um, no, I'm joking, it's not. And if anybody else has got access to that site, you need to make sure that they're all using strong passwords yeah. too. And if it's something like WordPress, make sure you turn on two-factor authentication as well. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Danny Bradbury, who's the naked security author who wrote the story for us, reached out to one of the owners of one of the compromised uh, sites, which had been dormant since 2017 until the sextortion post had appeared. Um, and that person said, well, we don't actually use it. Uh, when he suggested that they might want to look at the security on the site, she said, I will do if I get a minute, which I never get, which is a way of saying I'm not going to do that. Now, I think we can all, we've all been there. We all understand what it feels like to have too many things to do. Um, and I'm, I'm glad in a way that this person doesn't seem to have been too troubled by the fact that they may have been a victim of a sextortion attempt. But as Duck said earlier, unfortunately, that website isn't just a problem for the owner that's a problem for anybody that might be directed to that website anybody that might visit that website because people can be affected negatively by seeing these sextortion emails and it's also hosting in all likelihood a bunch of other things which may include you know drive by malware downloads uh, and all kinds of nasties so don't be part of the problem if you if you get one of these emails telling you your site has been hacked and you recognize it for what it is which is that it's an attempt to get you to believe something that's not true, that they've got a video of you. Even though that bit's not true, it is true that they've hacked your website. You need to go and deal with it and clean up after yourself. Can I make one additional plea mm. that isn't about old blogs? If you are a business, small, medium or large, and you do online, let your customers do online transactions and you expect that you're going to have plenty of customers who just come along, see something they like, maybe buy it or order it or ask about it, please don't force your users to create accounts for one-off transactions. Yeah. I really, really despise this where you just want to ask about something or the other day I wanted to buy one brake lever from an online bicycle parts site and it's, oh, create an account, you need a username, you need a password. There's no way that I could find out how I would close that account when I no longer required it. They did. Fortunately, they had an all buy as a guest. Now, that's a good start. And then after I'd gone through the purchase, which was a full £12.95p, I received the item. Then I got an email saying, hey, dear customer, we've created an account for you. Don't <laughs> do that because... I'm not going to name the company. I'm not going to buy from you again. Yeah. You've now created something in my name with a password that, I don't know, a link I have that somebody could have clicked and intercepted that's created an account that somehow carries my identity with it that I didn't want. So don't make people create accounts that they then have to remember and that there's no clear way that they can actually close them down. And if, if Duck's passion isn't a good enough reason to get you to, to do that, just consider the GDPR risk as well. So these blogs that we're talking about with the sextortion good point, attempts, good point. Um, you know, with WordPress blogs, for example, it, it's very easy. Um, lots of WordPress blogs are set up so that anybody can register, them, register themselves to the blog. So oh, yeah. anybody on the internet can just join the blog. Now, you don't have to provide very much information in order to register and you don't get very much access. But somebody who has hacked into your blog has now got access to that information. If you're the owner of that blog, you are responsible for keeping that information secure. The True. GDPR responsibility sits with you and also you are giving information to criminals that they might potentially use in 
attacks against those people who've registered. For all you know, the crooks who've gone in and posted the message to say that you've been watching porn could have gone through the list of all the people who commented on your website and left an email address yep. and could be emailing them saying, hey, yeah. we know that you've been watching porn and here's the proof. Go to this blog that you once commented on five years ago. Yeah. And how do you think we got the email address? Well, we got it because we hacked the blog. Yep. So, yeah, you could be letting other people down, not just yourself. And that makes it doubly, trebly worse. Well, thanks, Mark. And thanks, everyone, for your topics. That's unfortunately all we've got time for today. So just before we leave, where can we find you on social? Duck, start with you. I'm at DuckBlog on Twitter and at P. Ducklin on Instagram. <laughs> Peter? I'm at Altshift print screen on Twitter. I had to think about it then. And that's all I'm on, I'm afraid. And Mark? I am at Mark Sockley on Twitter and I'm also at Internet of Hens, um, <laughs> if you like hens. Perfect. I'm at Ali Rouge and we're at Naked Security on everything else. Um, come and watch our weekly Facebook live videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're so lonely on there. Um, thanks, guys. And until next week, stay, stay secure. secure.